Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? And if you're using the Pew Bible, and maybe you have no idea where Matthew is, and that's fine. It's on page 835, this, this passage that we're going to read. Two-thirds of the Bible is what we call the Old Testament, and then we begin with the, the New Testament, which more specifically is about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it begins with uh, four books uh, called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is the first book of the New Testament. And this is the very end of this book, this Gospel that Matthew has written. Verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The reading of God's word. Let us pray. O Lord, apply this word to our hearts. Grant us faith to believe what you have given us to do, who you are as Lord of the earth, Lord, may we do so out of joy and eagerness. May we be, Lord, truly instruments of your hand to see so many people brought to Jesus Christ. Oh, bless us, Lord. Bless us that we truly will believe you, that we will give our lives up to you, that we will trust you with all that we have. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. When I was, I've told you several times, I think about uh, one summer when I was in Birmingham working for a drilling firm. And I worked on top for a while and I wanted badly to be a whole man. Not just a top man, but a whole man. Because the top man would just sit in the sun and every once in a while he cranked up the bucket full of rock that the hole man had dug out of the hole as he was taking the hole down and bringing the cylinders down and eventually, of course, cement would be poured into that for foundations. <clears throat> and uh, it was really unheard of that a college kid would be in the hole. Uh, but I nagged and nagged and nagged the uh, super and finally I got to get in the hole. And... <clears throat> It was much harder work because on top, you're just sitting there and every once in a while you crank up a bucket, empty it, put it back down. And down there, you're struggling sometimes in a narrow area and you can be 30, 40 feet down and you look up and the the sun looks like, I mean, the light looks like a little disc up there. And you can barely move as you try to get the air hammer and then the drill and doing all your work. And it was really, really hard work. And I loved every minute of it. Because it was so important, you know. 
It's like when a kid, you've got two kids and you're going into the woods and they're broken in on safety and you've got your gun on safety. You've even got a lock on it and you say, which one of you wants to carry the gun? Well, they'll fight over the privilege of carrying the gun, even though by the time they get out there, their arms are just killing them, you know. But they want to be the one that's carrying the gun. It's the privilege. If someone, if you're on a ship and someone said, now, do you want to clean the latrine or do you want to be in the wheelhouse? <laughs> There's no question. But why is it? And I asked myself this question this week. Why is it that you and I do not see the awesome privilege that is laid for us, out for us in Matthew 28? That the Lord says to us and sends us under His glorious authority and with His wonderful presence into all the world to bear testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you count that a glorious privilege? Do you count that as, are you grateful? Are you thankful? Do you wake up week after week asking the Lord, how might I be used, Lord, as an instrument in your hand to draw others to Jesus Christ? Now, this series is not set up to make you feel all guilty uh, in these two or three weeks. It's to make you feel all joyful, make you look to Jesus Christ afresh in his majesty and power and to believe him. That's why this is titled Believing the Lord in Outreach. It is our unbelief. It is our unbelief. It is our lack of our own understanding of the gospel and enjoyment of the gospel, delight in the good news and tasting the good news that prevents us and paralyzes us, cripples us so that 300 people can be not just this church, but in a church, 300 people can be in a church for 10 years. And you look on the records and no one was one for Christ. Do you know in the PCA and our whole denomination, very few people are listed ever as professing faith in Jesus Christ. Most of the people that we have are transfers from other churches. We have very few people that are listed because we have very few people who were simply non-Christians, unbelieving, unchurched people who through the witness of the body of Christ in our denomination came to know Jesus Christ. Well, our session would like for that to change by God's grace. We would love in the years to come to see dozens and more dozens and maybe even hundreds of people come to know Jesus Christ that never knew him. And we believe that God intends to use us in that way. Not that we're suddenly going to become this bunch of people knocking on doors every night and driving people crazy. But that through wisdom, through mercy, through kindness, through hospitality, through being good neighbors, through uh, speaking the right word in the right time, through collective work as a body, that we can be used by God to draw many to Jesus Christ. And so, 
we're, we're not even saying, and I certainly am not, that any of us have been even the greatest example of this. But we're saying we want to move forward as leaders, as elders and deacons, and we want all of you to move forward with us. For all of us to believe in Jesus Christ and believe that he means to use us in this way. Well, in this passage, the thing that stands out, the thing that frames this passage is the authority of Jesus Christ. It's how verse 18, verse 18 begins, isn't it? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he ends the passage. I am with you always to the end of the age. Just look at the frame of this. All authority is mine. The whole earth has been put at the feet of Jesus Christ. All of the earth and heaven have been put at the feet of Jesus Christ. He is the owner and the ruler over all things. Now, as God, he had always been the ruler. That hasn't changed. But now, as the mediator, as Messiah, as the God-man, as the head of the church of Jesus Christ, as the one who is crucified and, and resurrected, and now is at the right hand of God, all authority is with him. So, all nations belong to Jesus. All peoples belong to Jesus. All economies belong to Jesus. All events belong to Jesus. And every single one of them, by His authority, is meant to and will be used by Christ to advance His kingdom. He cannot be stopped. Do you understand? He cannot be stopped. And you get a piece of this authority of Jesus as He says in John 10, I have many other sheep that are not of this fold. And he said, I will get them too. Well, how, how, wait a minute. How do you know? No question about it. He is going to gather his sheep. He says in John 6, all that the Father has given me shall come to me. So this is a statement of absolute authority, absolute power, absolute ownership. He is above all power. He is unbounded by the powers in heaven and on earth. And therefore, because he is unbounded, he can also say, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Because he is all powerful, nothing can shut him out. And I love the statement in Ephesians 1 when it talks about his exaltation to the right hand of God. And it says, this one who has been exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, he is the one given as head of the church. That's who we have as head of our organization, so to speak, is the one who is over all authority and power. And it says of him in Ephesians 1, he fills all in all. And a great translation is he fills everything in every way, he fills up every nook and cranny of the universe with his sovereign presence and authority. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples. You get the feel of that? 
with absolute control, with the rule over every circumstance, all powers, all political structures. Everything is in tow. And he says, now go and make disciples, not just here and there, but he says, make disciples of the nations. There's no boundary. There's no limit because he owns it. He owns it all. And let me just mention a few aspects of this authority and how it applies to you and to me. First of all, it's authority to make a way for the gospel in terms of political structures, in terms of the powers of this world to protect his people as and when he desires to get them where he wants them to be. And there is no political power ultimately that can stop him. And you see some of this uh, behind the, the doors of China where there's such opposition politically to Christianity, and yet there's a multiplying of millions and millions of Christians under that totalitarian government. As Besser says, it was not a strange world into which Christ sent his servants, but into the world the Father had laid at his feet. And daily, you and I need to bear that in mind when you walk into your day to say, this is a world that the Father has laid at the feet of my Lord Jesus Christ, whom I serve. And my Lord, who has this authority, has said to me, Darwin, go and make disciples. So, do we believe him? Do we believe in our prayers that God can topple political systems in this world? Do we believe that God can change the whole look of the Middle East? Do we believe that God can transform hundreds of millions of people in what's called the 1040 window that goes through North Africa and heads all the way through China? Do we believe all authority in heaven and earth is is the Lord Jesus If you believe that, and if I believe that, how will we pray? How will we pray? I love the passage in Psalm 2 that says, uh, turn with me to Psalm 2. The nations are opposed to the Lord and opposed to his anointed one. And of course, in the Old Testament, this would refer to the king of Israel, but it points forward to the true king who will sit at the throne of heaven, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they oppose the Lord and his king, verse four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And what does he say he will do? I've verse six, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And the New Testament takes that as resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. I believe the Lord Jesus is certainly praying for the ends of the earth. And I believe his people should follow suit and pray for the ends of the earth. And we pray like those who expect Christ to wield his authority. How passionate have you ever gotten to pray for India? Just as an example. 
What would happen if 300 people were praying every week? Praying, declaring to Christ, adoring Him for His authority, and praying in such a way as that you could hardly live unless He does a great work in the world to bring the glory of Jesus Christ. You remember Knox's great statement, Give me Scotland or I die. (laughs) Give us India or we die. Give us China or we die. Give us the Muslim world. And we're not talking about political terrorism. We're talking about love and good deeds and people finding the light of Jesus Christ. Well, there's this authority that he has to make the way for us. And particularly, though, don't just think out there, but think for you. To make a way for you. To open up people's hearts. To give you opportunity in your neighborhood with business associates, in your school, somebody that's sitting next to you in class. He will open the way constantly for His people as they give themselves up and say, Lord, I want to be an instrument to love and to bear witness to Jesus Christ. He has all authority to make that way. Secondly, then, He has authority, all power, to strengthen you personally, to encourage you, and to make you into, as He calls them, a fisher of men. As He says in Matthew 4, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He can make you willing He can train you. He can equip you. And in going and in being used by Him, in being made a person who is able to love people, and then in the context of friendship to share the gospel, He is with you in every part of that. When He says, I'm with you always to the end of the days, or to the end of the age, it literally reads, I'm with you all the days. And it has the feel of, I'm with you day in and day out. Or as one translator has it, I'm with you the whole of every day. Whatever the day is, wherever you are, I am right there. And that means He's active. He's going to be working in your heart and life to grow you in His grace, to make you more and more a willing servant, to be opening up the way that you may be used in His hand. John Knox wrote this. He was given heaven and earth to do what he liked with them. I like that. Just to do what he liked with them. And he will do what he likes with your life to form you and to use you. And that authority means that he will also make you fruitful. He will open up people's hearts. He will bless your efforts. He will draw people. He will further them along. As we're going to talk about this, people many times are on this spectrum from being very far away from Christ and very far away from even understanding who God is to perhaps right at the point of of believing in Christ. And you may be used in various ways in countless people's lives to further them along that path. And somebody else, kind of like a baton, takes the baton, tag team, and they will minister in their lives in the way God has orchestrated. But each one of us all the time can be used in this way to further people along 
to Jesus Christ. And he has authority to make you fruitful in this way. I love what is said by uh, Broadus. He commits the whole human race to the care of the church. Isn't that an amazing statement? He commits the whole human race into your care. That we will not rest until all have been brought in as disciples with him. Do you have that sense of privilege? That sense of awe that the whole world, it is in God's hands. And now he's pushed it our way and said, give yourself to these people. Love them. Give them the grace of Jesus Christ. Show forth the life of Jesus Christ to them. Now that, brothers and sisters, is the wheelhouse. You're a whole man when you're doing that. When you are part of the vital, uh, vital people and community of God that is set here to care for this world and to bear light to this world. And when Jesus says, I am with you, it's emphatic in the original. And it, it, he means to say, I, no less than I am with you every single day, all the way to the end when the final purpose will be accomplished. I am with you. And so I ask you daily, do you have some sense of the authority of Christ to change you and mold you and to make you into an instrument? And maybe you don't even know what that looks like. But can you at least begin to say, Lord Jesus, you are all powerful. You call me to participate in this work. Lord, make me able. Equip me. Make me willing. Make me passionate. Make me like Christ. And, oh, Lord, I trust you because you have all authority that my work will never be in vain. That you will open up the way. You will prepare people's hearts. Now, brothers and sisters, imagine a year, a year of your living that way, thinking that way, praying that way or not. Or just getting up every day, going to work, never thinking about, never even imagining that you might speak to someone, that you might minister in some way, that you might be used. That's transformed as we understand the authority of Jesus Christ. Let me mention another aspect of this authority. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And brothers and sisters, that means he has authority to command us to do this. You get that feel? I have all authority in heaven and earth. This is the pinnacle of power on the earth. Power to kill. Power to make alive. Power to judge. Power to rule. And he says to us, Go make disciples. We must not turn away from the Lord of the earth. We cannot play a game as though we're going to be these private little ghetto Christians and enjoy our nice little American culture. Just please don't bother me with this disciple making thing. When Christ has said it before us in the very last words of this gospel, this commission called the great commissioning of us, 
as though we're all arrayed before him. And he commissions us with the most glorious task, not to carry a shotgun to work, not to work in a hole or be in a wheelhouse. But I commit now the earth, the whole world of people into your care. I command you to go. And so I got stopped dead in my tracks uh, years ago when I was speaking with uh, one of the men, Jimmy Lyons, uh, who happened to be in my hometown, Gadsden, for uh, quite a while in East Gadsden. His son, Philip, was a best friend of mine, uh, Philip uh, tragically died of, of cancer as a, as a boy. But Jimmy Lyons uh, was an evangelist from the word go, and he has been used in many ways in evangelism in our denomination. And uh, I was speaking with him because he had already been uh, asked to come to the church in Columbus before I got in there, and by the time I got there, the, the conference was set up. And he asked me about our conferences, and I said, well, we have a growth conference in the fall, and we have a missions conference in the spring. And his kind of eyebrow raised, and he said, uh, you call one a growth conference and the other a missions conference? And I knew I was dead, you know, already. Like, okay, I'm stupid. <laughs> um, and I knew immediately what he was saying is that your growth conference is your missions conference as well, you know. And my uh, friend Randy Pope in Atlanta, uh, we used to wrestle in the back of the bus going to 10th grade basketball games. Uh, Randy has said many times that discipleship has this not as an add-on, that you grow in grace and grow as a disciple, and then you learn outreach and evangelism. But this is a vital aspect always of your growth. Think what faith this calls for us to believe him, to believe in his protection, to do something that is kind of dangerous, that's kind of scary, that's kind of out there, that I really will speak to this person at the right time, that I will work and labor to the point that I can invite them to church or to speak the gospel to them. It's part of our love to God, our worship, our honor. This is our warfare. We say our warfare is against sin and Satan, but sin arises against this. Our pride and our fear can govern us and be idols that we worship for years while we're not used by God. What a vital aspect of growing in grace, growing in an understanding of the gospel the precious good news. So we dare not disobey in the view, in view of this universal authority of our commander. And part of obedience, brothers and sisters, is knowing that as I give myself to his will, this will be fulfilling to me as a human being. It will enrich my life. That's always the way the scripture is laid out. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. This is not to drive the car off into the abyss of guilt and, and fear and all this stuff. And I just want my safe life. No, the Lord is saying, and you know, the words of, of C.S. Lewis, they're so appropriate here. We're like children making mud pies and we don't we can't imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We just don't know what they're talking about. 
And I'm telling you, by God's grace, a church that is vibrantly seeking to win others to Christ finds its holiday at the sea, even if they are martyred in the process. Because it's Christ's will. It's His will for us. He only commands that which enriches our life, draws us into closer relationship to Him to understand more of His grace, more of His power, to be conformed more and more to Christ. Isn't that what we're about? Well, there's much that could be said. I want to just leave this one thought. We're going to develop this, but I'll just touch on it. I know at first this is going to sound like I know you're talking about knocking on doors. You know, we're going to go to all these apartments and I'm going to go up and down my neighborhood and knock on the door. And, you know, are you saved? You know, (laughs) I'm not talking about that. Okay, but on the other hand, when we talk about friendship evangelism, as you may know, many times that's just friendship, but no evangelism. You know, we're constantly friends to people. We've maybe known them for six years or 12 years, but we've never even tried or never even thought toward or prayed about bearing witness to them. But let me just remind you how all of your life we teach rightly, I believe, according to Scripture, that all of your life is to be lived in the presence of God just because you're made in the image of God. That means even your work has wonderful significance as work. Just your work, what you're studying in school, it has it. You don't have to put another layer on top and say, well, my work's okay because I get time to share the gospel at work. No, no. Making a report, uh, formulating a new way to organize material or or a a section of of the company. These are godlike things because everything we do is part of our being the image of God. So I want to stress that, that we're not that that all of your life is glorious and wonderful and is holy before God. But here's the other thing. Not only is your life creational, it's, I'm going to coin a word, new creational. That is, every part of your life, even the excellence in the workplace, the way you conduct your family, what you do when you go through the grocery line, every part of your life can have significance as it bears on this matter of showing the light of Jesus Christ. And that's the way we need to think. Every person I speak to, here's the opportunity to just simply show the love of Christ. Things don't go well at the, uh, the return section because I find out, oh, I had to have my receipt and I had to do it in 30 days and now I'm going to lose $46. Slam it, didn't you? Or do I show forth the grace of Christ there? So every part of your life, and let me just read these verses to you to end, and I hope this will get us thinking along these lines, so that you see what we're talking about is a whole life of integrity and love and godly discipline and joy and faith and servanthood and kindness lived across the boards in every part of your life. And in that overall context, God opens up, Continual opportunities for you to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech 
always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. First Thessalonians four. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Now, in that context of love, listen to this. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Do your work well. Be excellent. Make your living. See, that's part of the gospel. And we've got to see our whole life as bound up in the gospel, bound up all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, every part of your life is significant. Therefore, in every part of your life, you're going to be used in various ways to be drawing people to Jesus Christ. So your whole life forms a fabric of testimony, the way you talk to your wife and kids, the way you react to pressure at work, the way you treat referees at your children's soccer games, your diligence and carefulness at work, your hospitality and neighborliness. Now, we have the word many times called a man's man. Well, I have what I call the neighbor's neighbor. He's my next door neighbor, and I'm sorry to embarrass him like this, but Elliot Carmen and his wife, Shelley. When we got to our neighborhood... Elliot, I found out, knew just about everybody up and down the street. Elliot was helping with the Neighborhood Association. Now he heads up the Neighborhood Association. And he knows so many people. He is such an... And Elliot doesn't sit there at the Neighborhood Association and say, let's begin with prayer. You know, He just conducts the business and he's manifesting Christ. And people have a high opinion of Elliot. He's one of the most respected men on that street and in our little neighborhood. Because he's just being a good, faithful neighbor. And do you think that will not open up opportunities for him to share the gospel? Yes, it will. And that's what we're talking about. Do we see the authority of Jesus Christ commanding us, equipping us, enabling us, and preparing the way that we might be used mightily in this place? Let us pray. Oh, Lord. Thank you for the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. We honor you for your authority. Authority over every power, every structure, every event in this world. You are working. You are ruling. You are bringing about the establishment of your kingdom. You are drawing people to yourself. Lord, may we be an expectant church. Expectant. Expecting you to use us. Expecting to be instruments for good in this place. Expecting that hundreds, even more, might come to Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we don't deserve. We don't deserve in any way to be used. We deserve your judgment. But you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. 
as Peter says, that we may declare the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness. Oh, Lord, what a privilege. Thank you that we are in the wheelhouse of history, that the nations, the peoples of the earth have been, in a sense, entrusted to us to care for them, to bind them up, to give ourselves away, to sacrifice for them as Christ has sacrificed for us, and in the midst of it, to proclaim them the precious good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us. We look to you to do it. For your name's sake, amen.